This week on Geek Explained, with Jedi Fallen Order taking over the gaming world and Episode 9 less than a month away, Star Wars hype is at an all-time high. And that got me thinking about what a Star Wars story might look like if I was writing it. So join us for our latest edition of Pitch It, a Star Wars Story. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about Star Wars. Um, Star Wars has been dominating headlines for a lot of time now. Um, all the way back from when the very first movie entered theaters in the mid-70s, all the way up to today, we're looking at, you know, decades of storytelling when it comes to the Star Wars universe. And with Jedi Fallen Order coming out recently, I have been obsessed with Star Wars again. Um, that game has been ruling my life. It's so good. And also, I don't know if you knew this, but Episode 9, which is supposed to close the saga, is coming out next month. So I have been just obsessed with Star Wars lately, and for most of my life, if I'm being honest. And uh, that kind of got me thinking, you know, what would a Star Wars story look like if I was writing it? So uh, that's what our episode is today. It is another edition of Pitch It, uh, one of my favorite segments that we do. We don't do it very often. This is only the third ever Pitch It and the very first one that is not about Spider-Man. So um, pretty excited about it. Also, of course, we have our weekly review covering season eight, the final season of Arrow, as well as this week's comics countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's jump right into this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, I'm not gonna lie to you, there's not a lot of news this week. Uh, this was kind of a slow news week for uh, the geek world, but I do have two pieces of news. Of course, we have our categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous, and our two uh, news pieces for the week happen to be in film and comics, and they both happen to be about Batman. Um so let's just jump into it. Uh, we'll start off with what I think is the more positive news, uh, which is the comics news about Batman, which has to do with uh, James Tynan IV. If you don't know, uh, James Tynan IV is going to be taking the reins from Tom King on the main Batman book starting in January with issue number 86. Uh, Tom King's run ends at 85 next month, and then he goes into his 12-issue maxi-series uh, Batcat, as well as, of course, doing his Strange Adventures maxi-series as well. Really excited about that stuff. But James Tynan IV is going to be uh, continuing on the ongoing adventures of Batman in his main solo book, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I 
believe the art is going to be done by uh, Tony S. Daniel, which great stuff. He's amazing. Uh, really looking forward to it. And the news that we got this week is that uh, we don't have to wait until January to get uh, James Tynan IV on the main Batman book because it was revealed that in issue 85, Tom King's final issue on the series, um, James Tynan IV is going to get a little, uh, I guess, technically epilogue slash prologue for his series at the end of that issue, kind of getting you ingratiated with him, kind of in the way that, in a this is... I just thought of this comparison, and I'm really excited about it. Um, the way that in a regeneration episode for Doctor Who, you get most of the episode being kind of controlled by the uh, current showrunner, and then maybe after the regeneration, as was done in uh, David Tennant's final episode slash Matt Smith's first episode, the first you know changing of the guard happens in that same episode so i'm really excited about that again i think that uh tom king going out before he got to hit issue 100 is kind of a travesty personally but i'm um, really excited james town the fourth has done amazing work on batman if you haven't picked up his detective comics run from dc rebirth i absolutely need you to go do that he also penned batman and the teenage mutant ninja turtles which has been great as well and he's currently on justice league dark so really excited about that Again, sad to see Tom go, but I'm excited to see what James brings to the book. And then jumping into film news, um, it's about Batman. So uh, the Batman film that's coming out directed by Matt Reeves and starring Robert Pattinson uh, had two big, uh, I guess, developments this week. I'll get the uh, less than positive one out of the way. And that is that apparently rumor is right now that uh, Robert Pattinson is kind of having some difficulty bulking up um, for the role as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, I I don't know. It's just kind of rumors and speculation right now. But uh, it's, I mean, I would, I think it'd be difficult for anybody besides... Uh, Christian Bale, who can make his weight go from super, super little to being super huge overweight as uh, Dick Cheney, to really make it difficult for anybody who has a normal uh, weight distribution kind of bulk up for that. And Robert Pattinson's not the most built guy. He's a little bit on the skinny side, so I can understand that he would be having difficulty with it. Um, but who knows uh we do know that the filming has been delayed by at least a week if not two but um if that's the reason totally get it he wants to bulk up he wants to make sure that he looks the best that he can for this film totally okay uh but the more positive news is that we apparently now have a carmine falcone or Car carmine falcone uh for those of you who are gotham fans and it's John Turturro. Uh, Matt Reeves revealed that John Turturro has been cast as Carmine Falcone. If you are not familiar with his name, you're probably familiar with his work in the Transformers film series. Uh, the Big Lebowski as well. And then my favorite role that he ever did, which was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He's an amazing comedic actor. He's very, very funny. Uh, he was also in uh, You Don't Mess With the Zohan. And I completely forgot. I have his IMDb pulled up. Um, but he's hilarious. Again, my favorite 
uh, role that he ever did was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, where he played alongside Tim Blake Nelson and um, George Clooney as Pete. So I, I'm really excited about this. I think he's going to do a great job. Um, and I'm just every single time they release a new casting announcement for Batman, it makes me more excited to see that film. So regardless of whether um, production has been delayed because Pattinson wants to bulk up a little bit, all of these casting announcements completely outweigh any bad news that could come. So that's it. Uh, like I said, a short news segment. So without further ado, we're going to dive right into the main meat of this uh, episode, the entree, if you will, which is the latest edition of Pitch It, a Star Wars story. This is the third edition of Pitch It, and I am pretty excited about this one because this is, of course, a Star Wars story. A um, couple things I want to get right out of the way. Um, this is, of course, just my personal story that I'd like to see in the Star Wars universe. Um, it is with... I think kind of setting itself apart from the previous pitches I've done. Um, I kind of envisioned this as a short story or a short film. Uh, so maybe half an hour at the most, but nothing like super expansive. And I wanted to keep it that way. I wanted it to be a very self-contained story that doesn't have like a set time frame or anything. Um, no, I guess if you had to place it somewhere, uh, you could place it anywhere between episode three and episode seven. So that's a lot of time. Um, but the elements that I kind of introduce in here, and there's not a lot. That, so I don't think there's a lot that a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. Uh, I did the research that I needed to do for this. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it. Like I said, it's, it's not as in depth, I think, as... Um, some of my previous pitches have been, but otherwise, uh, yeah. So uh, let's start talking about the world first. So the world I envision this is going to be this entire uh, this entire film, this entire story uh, takes place in one location, one city. Now this city, uh, I kind of picture very uh, Blade Runner meets the prequels. So specifically, like Episode Two, when they're when uh, Anakin and Obi Wan are chasing. Uh, the, I can't remember her name, the bounty hunter through the city. Uh, so lots of neon, very futuristic looking, a little bit cowboy bebop as well, if you're familiar with that, uh, that anime. Um, so lots of noir kind of vibes. It's going to be raining constantly throughout this. So just picture that lots of neon, lots of rain, um, kind of a dour, uh, tone, lots of uh, space age jazz. So again, really taking a lot of the vibe and tone from like a cowboy bebop. Um, again, this is self-contained, just a story that could happen anywhere in the galaxy, which is what I kind of 
envisioned and what I kind of wanted for these a Star Wars story anthology films like Solo, like Rogue One, stuff like that, where um, they don't necessarily have to tie into anything because the galaxy in Star Wars is vast. It's a huge universe and people and stories can take place that don't ever cross over with the mainline stuff. So while there will be elements of stuff that you've seen before in various Star Wars media, um, this is going to be completely standalone on its own in that universe, far away from the events of uh, the Skywalker saga or anything like that. So if you are expecting, I just hit my mic there, if you're expecting a, uh, a Skywalker cameo, I'm sorry to disappoint you, that won't happen. Um, this is also, uh, like I said, deep in, like, far sector, like, way depths of the galaxy, far away from everything else, so there's not a whole lot of, uh, contact with, like, the greater, uh, Star Wars canon, so I think that helps a lot with it kind of being ambiguous on when this takes place, not necessarily saying, oh, we've... You know, someone directly references the destruction of Alderaan, so it's definitely after Episode 4. Or, um, the First Order is walking around, so it's definitely around, you know, the, uh, sequel series. This takes place super far away from everything in a sector that's not really, um, governed as much by any kind of one governing body. It's very Wild West, um very firefly in that way where everything's just kind of like on the brink so there's also not a lot of uh contact with outside sectors like the planet that this is on is so far removed from everything that a regular uh trip to get to this planet takes at least six months even when you're doing hyperspace so like it's far far away um, but this is a very populated planet. This city specifically, I don't have names for these city for this city or this planet. Um, I can leave that up to you if you would like to uh, come up with a name for the city or the planet that this takes place on. But um, very far removed, like I said, and uh, kind of your grungy, uh, futuristic New York kind of vibe. So it's very urban, uh, very dour, and like I said, very. Uh, neo-noir so two main characters as well uh just kind of establishing everything two main characters that we're going to follow there will be um supporting characters of course but really i want to focus on these two characters and we will get into them as we go along so with all of that out of the way all the preamble um let's just dive into it i've got my notes here to kind of help me uh follow this along and we will dive right into the latest edition of pitch it a Star Wars story. So we open up mid-scene. Uh, we have our main character making his way through these crowded streets and, you know, rain's falling. It's very atmospheric and he heads, you know, takes a left turn into the bar. And here is where we are introduced to our, our main character, our lead, Dante Noble. He is a smuggler trying to get off world. He's very charming. As he's entering this bar, you know, he's got a bit of a reputation, so some people are like, hey, how you doing? And some people are kind of giving him the side eye. And so he takes a seat at the bar with the bartender who is basically every bartender in every noir film ever who is very, you know, polishing a glass and like looking at him like, what brings you in here? He knows who Dante is and everything, but um, he definitely 
gives him kind of a, uh, a concerned look. So Dante is trying to get info on how to get off-world. He's trying to get off-world. We don't know quite why yet, um, but he is trying to get a ship. And the only people who actually have a way to get off-world are the super rich, the people who kind of run the joint in this city. And bartender basically tells him that and he tells him that the only time that they all kind of get together in one place is a sabak game a very high stakes high roller sabak game that is taking place tonight so dante is trying to like weasel out of him like where is this taking place blah 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 and he's like you know you could never like you wouldn't even be able to get in the door because you don't have anything that you can bet and that's when dante you know kind of settles back his charming kind of uh dashing rogue facade kind of melts away for a second and he reaches into his bag and he sets down on the bar a lightsaber now this is a lightsaber that has seen a lot it is heavily weathered um bits of it are kind of falling apart but it is there's no doubt it is a lightsaber and that immediately catches the eye of the bartender as well as someone in the corner covered in shadow observing this interaction so Dante says I th do you think this could get me in and the bartender looks at him he looks at the lightsaber and he says if it's real that'll get you in and a heavy buy-in so he gives Dante the um the info on where the spot game is taking place. Dante heads out of the door and the figure in the corner watching him slowly rises up and exits out an opposite door. And here's where we are introduced to our second main character, an inquisitor named the 13th brother. Now this uh, inquisitor humanoid um, is very focused, very focused, very honor bound. And if you want to kind of equate him, if you're familiar with the series, um, I kind of, when I was coming up with his character, equated him to this, uh, to a uh, Prince Zuko, if we're looking at uh, Avatar The Last Airbender from the first season, from book one, Water. Um, he's very focused, very driven, very honor-bound, and very um, uh, demure, very focused, very down, very dour. And so he exits out of the bar in a back alley, and pulls open a communicator. And he basically, in so many words, says that he's gotten a lead. He's gotten a lead. He is going to follow this Jedi. And he is going to exterminate him, for lack of better words, for the Inquisitorium, I believe is the group. And this entire exchange, as he's giving it to this... Uh, communicator the channel is just static so it's not really clear on whether he's actually talking to someone if anyone's getting this message or not and we'll have more info on that a little bit later but he basically says that he's going to hunt this jedi down um and that he will be in touch soon so we cut over to the sabak game Dante arrives, he uses the lightsaber as his buy-in, it kind of, you know, oh, look at this guy, and it, everyone kind of immediately shifts their, um, their perspective on him, because this guy could be a Jedi, 
we thought you know all the jedi were exterminated after you know order 66 and the great purge but we do know and star wars canon has shown us throughout its various um media that Je some jedi did escape some jedi did uh were able to get away we've seen this in rebels we've seen this in now the non-canon forced unleash games and most recently we've seen this in jedi fallen order but dante is undeterred he's like this is my buy-in i'm going to use this but i'm going to hold on to it as my basically as his chips as his credits that he'll use for the sabacc game and so this uh this sabacc game i kind of envision as a very uh casino royale style uh poker game where it's very high stakes but you get to see dante's resourcefulness you get to see his charm you get to see his swagger as he's systematically outwitting the other high rollers now these are various um wild looking alien creatures who are kind of the uh the ruling class in this city and on this planet they're the have they're the have-alls against the have-nots they own all of the uh all of the ships which there are very few and they own the only shipyard on the entire planet so Dante knows that he has to win this game if he is going to get enough credits to buy a ship to, from any of these guys. So this game continues on until he gets to the final, uh, the final alien. So it's just him and the last high roller. And the high roller is looking at him. He's like, blah, blah, blah. He's very confident. Um, Dante is staying very focused. He's got his charm, but he is making sure that they know that he means business. And so he puts it all in. Everything that Dante's won up to this point, he puts on the table. And the high roller basically says, well, you know, you've cleaned out all of my friends. What could I possibly, you know, put up to that? And Dante says, how about your ship? And this is where we get the reveal that this was never about winning credits this was never about um getting money it was about getting this guy's ship and he mentions that he's he's done his homework he knows that his ship gets the furthest the fastest and that if he wants to get off planet this is the ship that he needs so he basically goads the high roller into betting his ship and the high roller lays down his access card to get the ship going on the table next to the lightsaber and so he says all right let's do this so we get in that final hand and it's here that we get kind of an ambiguous moment from uh dante he kind of looks at him and he it's unclear as of right now whether it's a very familiar to those of us who know the uh, Star Wars property, whether it's a Jedi mind trick or whether it's just his charisma and his confidence. But he tells him directly after both of them have spent a little bit of time looking at their hands, you want to fold. You don't want to play this hand. You want to fold. And there's this moment, there's this pause where the high roller is looking at him and he can see the focus in his eyes. And again, it's unclear on whether or not this is a Jedi mind trick or just an incredible poker face. But Dante waits and the high roller folds. So high roller folds. Um, Dante wins the access card and he is about to grab his earnings when 
wouldn't you know it, some of the guards around the High Rollers figure out that he was cheating. It wasn't just that Dante was that good at Sabak because he wasn't. But true to form and true to his character, Dante was hiding Sabak cards throughout the game. And he would use them whenever he needed to you know, win a hand. And so as everyone has finally revealed or found out that this guy was cheating, we're going to rough his ass up. Um, at that moment, dropping from the ceiling directly onto the Sabak table is the 13th brother. Just bombastic drops straight onto the table. Everyone falls back from the force of his, um, his landing. And immediately he kills all of the guards present. Whether that's, you know, force choking people, he pulls up a blaster using the force and kills, you know, some of the other guards that are around him. And in the chaos, in the scuffle, Dante grabs the lightsaber, he grabs the access card, and he runs. So then we enter the chase scene here. This is a full-on hunt. After killing the guards that are present, 13th Brother pursues him, and we get this great, fast-paced, high-octane chase throughout the crowded streets of this city, where Dante is pushing through people, running, taking turns down alleyways, Dante knows every nook and cranny of this city. He's been here long enough to know where he needs to go to get to where he's going. Meanwhile, 13th Brother is pursuing him on rooftops, he's pursuing him through back alleys, and he is getting anyone out of his way who stands in his way. Finally, Dante takes a wrong turn and ends up in a dead end. And he is stuck there, he is just... He knows that he has been cornered, and he turns around, and the 13th brother is there, clad in his black Inquisitor garb, and the 13th brother is just watching him. And so Dante, you know, tries to talk his way out of it. He's like, look, man, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you want, but you don't want to do this. Like, we're, you could just go on your way, uh, they're gonna, the High Roller Gang... I don't, I'm not going to call them, I'm just as a quick aside, I'm not going to call them the High Roller Gang, but for the ease of uh, telling this story, I'm just going to refer to them as the High Roller Gang. But he's like, you know, you killed a bunch of their people in there, they're going to come looking for you, and if you leave now, I'll tell them I never saw you. I'll tell them that I don't know where you're going. And this is obviously a bluff. Uh, Dante is trying to get him to uh, leave him alone. 13th brother is undeterred. He is staring in silence at Dante. And Dante's like, all right, man. So he slides the access card into his back pocket, brandishes the lightsaber, ignites the blade, and you can tell that the blade isn't as, uh, or this lightsaber isn't as uh, fully charged, as we'll say. The blade flickers a little bit, but he gets it going and he gets into a very familiar stance with his lightsaber. 13th brother pulls out his lightsaber. It's a classic Inquisitor lightsaber with the um, the handguard blade turns on, but this one is also flickering. You can tell that this saber and this Inquisitor has been through a lot because you can tell that his uh, Inquisitor robes are tattered, they're torn, um, he's got bandages in places. He is 
he's seen some better days. And his lightsaber also seems to be in desperate need of repair. But again, this planet is so far away from nearby systems that it's, again, it takes at least six months to get from this planet to anywhere. So they're standing there. 13th brother, you know, ignites his lightsaber, and Dante is kind of taken aback by this, but he's like, all right, man, I can take this, I can take him. And the 13th brother, without hesitation, ignites the second blade. So he's now standing there with both blades ignited, the handguard extends into that crescent shape, but you can see that the crescent shape has been cracked. There's pieces out of that uh, crescent handguard that are missing. So he is obviously uh, not kept very good care of his lightsaber. And immediately when that lightsaber, you know, that second blade ignites, Dante is just, huh. And he disengages his lightsaber and begins scrambling away, trying to get away from him. He is able to get through a crack in the wall, and as he is running through this wall, 13th brother cuts through the opening in the wall with his lightsaber and pursues him. And they're now out into a busier street, which is when they run right into the high roller gang. Uh, specifically the final high roller who he cheated out of his access card, along with, I would say, probably at least two dozen armed guards uh, with blasters at the ready. And pretty quickly, both 13th Brother and Dante are surrounded by these guys. Um, Dante's trying to reason with them, like, hey, you know, things got a little crazy back there. I was meaning to give you this access card. You know, I was just trying to keep it safe. And the High Roller is just not, just not taking any of it. So he's like, all right, guys, you know what to do. Kill him. So he believes the high roller does that the 13th brother was with is with dante to distract everyone so that he could escape and of course when he finds this you know dark clad man with dante he's like oh you guys were working together so he's like kill them both dante seeing no other choice ignites his lightsaber and 13th brother goes at it so the two of them are now going against this two dozen um bounty hunters slash guards who are blasting at them uh 13th brother is taking them out with precision this man has been at it for a while dante however is utilizing the luke skywalker uh style of lightsaber where he is swinging at everyone with his lightsaber like a bat so he's either been out of the game for a very long time or he doesn't know how to use this lightsaber. So he is just swinging in, but he is getting kills. He is deflecting blaster bolts. He is doing just as good work as 13th Brother is. So the two of them are taking out this high roller gang, blah, blah, blah. As they're fighting them, uh, 13th Brother, you know, every so often will take a swipe at Dante and Dante has to dodge it or deflect it with his own saber. And as they're doing this, they're having this conversation, and Dante's like, why are you chasing me? Why are you attacking me? And 13th Brother is saying, you know, I've been hunting you, I knew that there was a Jedi on this planet, and all I, all I had to do was wait for you to reveal yourself, and Dante is just like, I am not who you think I am. Uh, 13th Brother basically says, you know, you're, you're my mission, you're my key to redemption. And the two of them are able to finally uh, defeat all of the high roller gang that's present but as 
they are about to face off again, one of the fallen uh, guards aims his blaster directly at Dante. He fires his blaster. The 13th brother, seeing the blaster fire before Dante does, jumps in front of it and takes it directly in the shoulder. Directly in the shoulder. And then throws his lightsaber, impaling the guard and killing him. So Dante is just taken aback by this. Like, what the hell? And 13th brother you can tell has already been injured for some time without having any kind of uh, real medical attention. And this blaster bolt through the shoulder really is kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, so he kind of drops to his knees in exhaustion. Uh, You can tell that he hasn't been in a good physical medical state in a long while, and that he has probably been deprived of a lot of food and drink as well. So he's weak. Um... Dante looks at him, and even though it goes against his better judgment, he thinks to himself, if you're going to jump in front of a blaster bolt for me, the least I can do is get you a drink. So, we get a breather, we get a a respite, if you will, where Dante helps the 13th brother up to his feet and helps him into a nearby bar. He asks the 13th brother, why did you do that? Why did you... Why did you save me? And 13th Brother then reveals, as they are sitting at the bar and getting drinks, um, that he is honor-bound to kill his marks. If someone, you know, killed Dante, it wouldn't mean anything for him. His mission, as is all of the Inquisitor missions, is to take in the last remaining Jedi and either kill them or turn them into an Inquisitor. And if this lowly, you know, nerf herder was able to kill Dante, um, not only would that uh, ruin uh, 13th Brother's plans to uh, either arrest him or kill him, but he wouldn't be able to live with himself because, again, he's very honor-bound. Um, this is when we kind of get the backstory for the 13th brother. And this, if you are familiar with Avatar The Last Airbender, you kind of get where this is coming from, where uh, 13th brother at one point during the uh, first kind of batch, the first wave of Inquisitors, was a high-ranking member of the Inquisitorium. Uh, he was very well respected, but during a during a raid on a potential Jedi cell, he disobeyed orders and got two of his fellow Inquisitors killed. And following that, he was also defeated by the Jedi that were resting in this cell. Because of this, he was dishonored, disavowed by the entire Inquisitorium, and they banished him to this far sector, and they said that the only way that you can come back is if you kill a Jedi in this sector. They basically gave him this no-hope suicide mission, knowing that because he is honor-bound and all he wants is to be an Inquisitor, that he will hunt to the ends of the galaxy in this far sis- far-flung system to get this Jedi and to reclaim his honor and reclaim his status in the Inquisitorium. And that 
he hasn't spoken to anybody in a long time. He doesn't know if they're still waiting on him. He was sent to this uh, this system a very long time ago. The ship that he came on ran out of fuel, and he found himself stranded on this planet. And that he has been hunting for a very long time to get any kind of hint that a Jedi might be here. But that his, um, his intuition and his you know, attunement with the Force told him that there was at least the presence of a Force-sensitive being on this planet. So he has been hunting for this for, I'm going to say, probably years, if not, you know, almost a decade. So Dante really is to him his last hope. He's the key to his redemption through either victory or death because the only other way that he sees the story going for uh, the 13th brother is that either he is able to kill Dante, take his lightsaber, and potentially his head back to the Inquisitorium to get his honor, or if Dante is who he thinks he is, a one of the last remaining Jedi in the galaxy, he can be killed by Dante and get his warrior's death, thereby restoring his honor in his mind and allowing him to move on. So this has, you know, Dante is just listening to all this and realizing that 13th brother is just, he's honor bound and he's trapped tragically on this planet, both due to his, um, due to his own uh, his own failures as well as his inability to walk away from his honor. Um, Dante even tells him, you know, what if I just give you the lightsaber? If I give you the lightsaber, you can go back to your Inquisitorium and tell them that you killed a Jedi for this. And 13th Brother once again tells him, no, my honor would not allow me to do that. He is just too set in his ways. He wouldn't allow himself to ever take the coward's way out of lying about what he's done so he has to kill this jedi he has to take the lightsaber back and he has to get his honor back whether that's through victory or through death and so uh this really gives us everything that we need to know about the 13th brother uh dante's backstory is a little bit more vague a little bit more ambiguous uh he you know they have this uh exchange where 13th brother finally asks his name and Dante tells him, you know, it's Dante Noble. And 13th brother kind of chuckles to himself. He's like, that's not a real name. And Dante kind of like smirks at him. He's like, no, that's not my real name. And so he tells him that Dante Noble was an alias. He basically says, you know, it's a, it's a cool name. It's a very cool name. And, you know, sometimes you have to become someone else to survive. And so we get this idea that Again, very ambiguous, very vague, but he could have been a Jedi who kind of took on this new identity to survive. And so Dante also reveals that there was a mission, a job on this planet, and it went wrong. He got stranded by the people who he was there with, and he's been trying to get off world to go home. He has been desperately trying to find out for a very long time how to get off this planet so that he can get home to his loved ones. And, you know, the 13th brother kind of says to your loved ones, to your order. And Dante kind of looks at him with this knowing look, and he's like, to my order, I guess you could say. 
And so it's this really nice, like the two of them are kind of taking a breather. Uh, we find out a little bit more about them while also kind of furthering their understanding of each other. And the 13th brother, you know, kind of tells him, you know, I didn't expect to have this exchange with you. And Dante says, well, you, you saved my life. I couldn't not reward the guy who saved my life, even if he plans on taking my life uh, after this. And 13th brother kind of looks at him and he's like, you know, I have to kill you. Like, you know that now that you know about me, now that you know what I'm about, my mission, you know that I'm not going to stop until I kill you. And Dante says, yeah, I know. That's, you know, why I slipped something in your drink. And 13th brother kind of starts to get hazy and he's like, wait a second. And you find out that Dante had, um, had spiked his drink. And then as 13th brother is kind of realizing this, not only is he in terrible physical condition and medical condition, not only has he just been shot through the shoulder and has probably an open wound in his shoulder, but now he is hazy. He's, you know, his vision's going in and out. Dante uses, um, these, this kind of makeshift handcuffs to handcuff him to the bar. And he's like, I'm sorry, I got to do this, but Hey, at least you got a free drink. And then he leaves to head out to the shipyard. Um, pretty quickly after this, uh, 13th brother, even though he's kind of delirious, is able to break his bindings, uh, summon his lightsaber back to his hip and he pursues Dante. So then everything cuts to our finale here and our finale all takes place within the shipyard. Uh, Dante is able to get into the one and only shipyard that's on the planet due to him having the access card for the high rollers ship. So now we proceed into this. Um, it's not specifically like a horror sequence, but it's one of those familiar like you're going through, you know, the the corn maze with a, you know, a. Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees kind of hunting you. You know, it's very tense. Once again, like really dark tone, rain's falling. There's not a whole lot of light because this is after hours at the shipyard. And Dante is looking for this ship. He's going through the different, um, different rows of ships, all the while the 13th brother has killed the guard at the uh, at the entrance to the shipyard and has followed him in. Even though, again, 13th Brother is in bad shape, um, Dante thinks that he can outrun him and outwit him to get to this ship. So it's this very tense, you know, Dante's trying to find the ship, 13th Brother's trying to find Dante, and all of it, you know, is steadily building as it seems like 13th Brother is getting closer and closer and closer to him until he you know, turns a corner that we think uh, Dante has just turned around and he runs into a dead end. Meanwhile, Dante has finally found the ship. He's here. He's finally, he's found his ticket off world. He's going to get home. And then he hears the hum of a lightsaber being ignited. And he turns around and the 13th brother has found him. Rain's falling. It's very um, final scene out of the original Blade Hunt. Uh, Blade Hunter, Blade Runner, and the two of them are just kind of s standing there. And Dante, again, trying to reason with him, like, look, you know, you're not a bad guy. You are honor bound. I get that. But this is the only ship that's going to get me home. And if you come with me, 
We can drop you off somewhere. I can give you the lightsaber. We can figure this out. And Third Deep Brother, again, he is undeterred. He will not let his honor be or he's basically letting his honor get in the way of an easy victory and his way home. So they are at an impasse. 13th brother can't let him get home. Dante will not be taken. So they have this final kind of resignation of there's only one way this is going to end. And one of us has to die. One of us has to die here. And so Dante pulls out the lightsaber, lights it, and the two of them are standing there in the rain. The only real light that we're getting is from the lightsabers. The ship is kind of like underlit, so we're not getting a whole lot of light. And it's, I just, I picture there's a, um, there's a very, uh, I think it's a very well-known image drawn by uh, Lee Weeks, if you're familiar with uh, his work on Batman. Um, I believe it was Batman Annual number two. If you look this up, Lee Weeks, Batman Annual number two, I think it was Annual two, uh, there's this shot where uh, Batman and Catwoman are standing on top of a building, rain is falling, and this is exactly how I picture it. It's actually the background, it's the wallpaper for my laptop. So if you look it up, you'll find what I'm talking about. It's the two of them standing in the rain, far apart. It's kind of far out. Uh, Lots of heavy shadow, and the two of them are just standing there. And we get the final exchange. We know that one of them has to die here, and only one of them is going to make it off the planet. And then we have the lightsaber duel, which is not not in any way going to be a long drawn out lightsaber duel um we're we're not getting you know um duel of the fates or we're not getting episode three anakin and obi-wan if i had to equate this to anything this is uh more similar to uh obi-wan's duel with darth maul in rebels if you saw the final season uh, no it wasn't the final season it was the second to final season um an older Maul catches up with older Ben Kenobi on Tatooine. And the two of them uh, have this exchange where it's literally their duel is like two moves. And I love it. A lot of people had a problem with it, but I love it. It reminded me of like old school samurai films. So this is very much going to be like that. Dante ignites his lightsaber. The two of them are standing in the rain. Dante makes the first move. He lunges at uh, 13th brother. Thirteenth brother strikes him down. One, one strike. Dante is down. His lightsaber disengages, falls to the ground. He falls to his knees, and thirteenth brother catches him. Thirteenth brother catches him, and he's holding him, like letting him know that his death has been honorable. He fought, he died in battle, and he will. He has gotten a warrior's death, and. As Dante is laying there, he is trying to breathe, but his um, he he's having trouble breathing because he was slashed across the chest. And Thirteenth Brother is trying to tell him like, "Your death is going to facilitate my reintroduction into the Order. Um, just know that your death was not for nothing." And Dante tries to let him tries to tell him that he's not who he thinks he is, and that's when um, a little bit of uh, this 
essentially a tablet falls out of Dante's jacket onto the ground. Dante is like gasping for air. 13th brother reaches down and he sees what is essentially a, a, um, like an identity disc. So, um, it's basically his identification lets him know that, um, whatever Dante said what he was, he wasn't, you know, of course, confirming that Dante Noble isn't his real name, but also that Dante was not a Jedi that, and we kind of get this, um, moment where Dante is finally able to breathe. He's finally able to speak and he apologizes. He says his 13th brother, you know, I'm sorry. I couldn't tell you. I really thought I was going to be able to get off this planet. And he says that the lightsaber is not his lightsaber. Um, he stole it from a merchant so that he could use it as the buy-in for the Sabacc game that he has been, that he had been trying to find a way to get into that Sabacc game for months and that his first lead was to steal this lightsaber from a passing merchant. Um, and it's here that the 13th brother realizes that he did not strike down a former Jedi who was in exile trying to get back to the Jedi Order. Uh, 13th brother struck down a lowly smuggler who isn't going to be his ticket back home. And this is establishing the tragic irony of this story, that as 13th brother said, Dante got the warrior death that... 13th brother always wanted um and 13th brother this entire time was hunting an ordinary smuggler there is now no way off this planet for either of them it, even if 13th brother goes back and uses the ship that he now has the access card for he will not be able to use this death that he has been hunting for and searching for for years to get him back to his goal and get him his status back so both of them, and really neither of them, get what they want. And the last shot is both men in the rain as Dante breathes his last breath and dies. And 13th Brother is left kneeling in the rain as we slowly kind of pan out, get some really kind of sad piano music, and that is it. So that is my Star Wars story. It's sad, I know, um, but I have been uh, kind of obsessed with uh, darker stories recently. Um, and I just wanted to kind of tell this story of two men desperately trying to achieve a goal that puts them in direct opposition of each other and how in a very noir style, neither of them gets what they want. And the hero, technically Dante, um, tragically dies which is a long-standing um uh what's it called a long-standing trope in noir storytelling and i i hate that we had to do that to a uh, 13th brother because i really liked his character and i would love to explore more of his character but again just envisioning this as like a short film maybe 30 minutes um, just as a standalone story that takes little elements from other Star Wars media, kind of puts them together and tells a story that could happen literally anywhere in the galaxy. So um, that's it. That's, uh, that's my uh, Star Wars story. I would love to know um, 
what other people thought of this. I would love to know other people's uh, Star Wars stories. So uh, feel free to reach out to me on social media or through email. Um, what you think, because I am pretty proud of this. I like it a lot. Um, it's kind of a darker, sadder Star Wars story than we're used to, um, where really nobody wins. But I really think it's a cool story to be told. And I've been, if you can tell, I've been uh, re-watching some of the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender episodes, and it kind of struck me this idea of uh, Prince Zuko hunting for something his entire life and realizing when he's finally found it that it wasn't at all what he thought it was and how that could break a person, you know, how tragic that would be for that character. So I kind of wanted to tell that story, and I love, you know, dashing rogue smugglers. So I whip this up, and it's not perfect. I'll be the first to admit that there are, I'm sure, plot holes in the greater, you know, Star Wars canon and all this stuff, but I just kind of wanted to throw something out there that I really enjoyed. I hope you did too. And I think this, you know, could start the conversation for creating more Star Wars stories because with the end of the uh, main Skywalker saga coming up next month, I think we should explore more stories that take place in the universe outside of the Force and the Jedi and the Sith. So I think it's cool. Um, I would love to hear other Star Wars pitches, other Star Wars stories. And so this was mine. This was my Star Wars story. And I think it's a pretty good pitch. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing season eight, the final season of Arrow, specifically episode six entitled Reset. Now this episode is interesting because we're coming off of the um, the cliffhanger from last episode that uh, Lila's role as being with the monitor was revealed to Diggle and both or all of Diggle, Oliver, and uh, Dinah, were all, or Laurel, were all uh, tranked, and we didn't know exactly what happens there. Um, this episode was interesting. It's not the episode I expected, uh, definitely not the episode that I thought we were going to get, but I am really intrigued by it, because it was a good episode overall. So this episode, like I said, entitled Reset, uh, starts with what seems like a bit of a time lapse. Uh, Oliver wakes up and they're like, yeah, you you remember like uh, it was, the whole thing with Lila and the monitor was a big misunderstanding and, you know, we, you guys got tranked like two days ago. And so there's this weird feeling of uneasiness and Oliver's like, what is going on? But the biggest clue that all is not right is that Quentin Lance shows up. Quentin Lance is back. I love Quentin Lance. He's one of my favorite characters in Arrow. He tragically died. He was killed by Diaz a couple seasons ago. And the show, um, the show was never the same after that, I think. Because he was one of those characters who really brought a different... Um, a different perspective to the show, which I think we kind of need to balance out the scales. He was essentially the Commissioner Gordon for uh, Oliver's Batman. And that having that perspective kind of on the ground being lost uh, really kind of shaped the 
the final couple seasons after his death. So it was great seeing him here. Paul Blackthorne, again, it was like basically, it was like slipping on a pair of shoes. Like he fit right in again. Everyone there, you just like it's it just feels so good seeing him. But pretty quickly, uh, we find out that this is a Groundhog Day episode where um, they go through a set amount of events, and every time that Quentin dies, the day resets. So I liked it. I thought that was an interesting thing that we haven't really seen before. Um, especially in Arrow, and I really enjoyed... We've seen this a little bit in Flash. They've had that before, but in Arrow, this was definitely something new. And when we came to find out that the Groundhog Day-isms uh, were a construct of the Monitor to test both Oliver and Laurel, I'm not sure exactly what Diggle was doing. Um, you get to see kind of uh, what his headspace is, what... Uh, the Monitor is trying to accomplish, and Lila has now kind of become the uh, the avatar for him, basically carrying out his will. So I thought it was inventive. We haven't seen it in Arrow again, and I really liked kind of getting all the characters again and getting Oliver and Quentin back because... Uh, and one of my favorite parts of this episode was Oliver, like, explaining the Groundhog Day thing to him. And even though everybody else was just like, oh my god, what? Like, are you okay? All this stuff. Quentin's just like, yeah, checks out. Let's do this. And, <laughs> and again, like, I just, I love, I love that character. Him basically saying, like, dude, weird stuff happens all the time. This is not the weirdest thing that has happened. And I just, I lost it. So I really liked it. And um, even though he was absolutely a shining star for this episode, I got to give it up for Katie Cassidy. Uh, Katie Cassidy playing Laurel. She has been killing it this season. She's been good for a while. But this season, really, I think she stepped up her game a lot. I love the exchange between her and... Um, and uh, Lila, where she's like, oh yeah, and by the way, I pull off the short hair way better than you do. And she does. I'm not, I, I don't want to be that guy, but she does. But uh, I really, really loved it. I thought it was hilarious. And then her getting the chance to see her dad again. She never really got to say goodbye to him because he was killed by Diaz. And getting that, um, that closure with her was important. And as we came to find out, was really the, um, the whole reason that this episode happened. Getting closure, letting go. Um, once Laurel is able to finally get closure with Clinton, Quentin and let go of him, she's able to jump out of the time loop. But Oliver, who is as stubborn as they come and as he has always been, is unable to exit the time loop because he refuses to let Quentin go. And so we find out that this whole trial, when he finally is able to have that goodbye with Quentin and finally get to have that conversation with him and kind of make peace with the fact that he's gone, we find out that this was a tr just another trial for the Monitor to let Oliver know that there is no escaping your destiny. You are going to die. You are going to sacrifice yourself. And I know you want to make try and you know find your way out of it, but you need to learn to let go and that the world will move on without you. And I think that's a lovely sentiment. I mean, it sucks and it's a dick move to tell that, but the idea that uh, Oliver has been kind of fighting this idea that the world will be able to move on without him, I think is, uh, I mean, it's 
classic Oliver, but it's also like it's a lesson that I think all of them are going to have to learn and live with, you know, following Crisis. Uh, Flash has been very focused on, you know, what's my legacy? What do I leave behind? I have to get everyone ready for when I disappear in the crisis. But um, this season has really been about Oliver trying to escape his fate while Flash has kind of accepted his fate. So I like that Oliver is finally starting to come around to it, and I think that's going to make his sacrifice even more tragic that he has um, accepted it. But as the trial ends, everyone, uh, and that being Oliver, Laurel, and Diggle, which I want to know what the hell Diggle was doing this whole time, um, wake up along with the future kids on Lian Yu. So next episode is going to pick up with Lian Yu. We've only got one more episode uh, of this show before we dive right into Crisis. So I'm really excited on what they're going to do here. And I cannot wait to see next week's episode. We're gearing up for Crisis. It's, it's, I'm looking at the calendar right now. Let me pull that up. Um, it is just over a week away. It's like a week and a half away. And I am oh, I'm so excited about this. So uh, really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to next week's episode as well. So definitely tune in for our review of that. But for now, let's head on over to this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis of each book as well. And of course, every synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice that you would like me to try out for this segment, feel free to request that on either of our social media is at geeksplainedpod that's at geeksplainedpod or through email because i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com but before we get to this week's books we got to take a look at last week with the geeksplained pick of the week of last week and there were a lot to choose from last week there were a lot of books um but one for me kind of rose above the rest it was not the book i was expecting to uh to win for the week, but it is ultimately the book that won out, and that is Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Um, this book has been such a tale of ups and downs, but this issue really, I'm smacking the like again, uh, this issue really was, I think, one of the best uh, this takes place uh, in Gotham City for the main part with Jimmy Olsen, and it involves him essentially getting into a prank war with Batman, and I love that. Um, getting, I've been waiting for someone to take a more comedic take on Batman, um, even with as serious as he is, uh, and they did not disappoint. In, this, in the slightest in this issue. Really, really enjoyed it. Jimmy is just such a likable, charismatic underdog. And he has really... He's trying to get to the bottom of this, um, of this conspiracy, potentially by Luthor to kill him. We also got some info that um, Luthor and Jimmy might be related. So uh, I'm sure we'll get more info on that as the series goes on. But I'm really, really digging the the series so far uh my favorite panel uh or my favorite two moments in this book were both batman moments which just shows that uh matt fraction should write a batman book someday um 
but the first one is Batman is reacting to Jimmy's first prank on him. And he's sitting there in the Batcave, having just found out that sometimes Alfred pays Bruce's employees to laugh at his jokes. And he looks at Alfred and he goes, how long have you been doing that? And Alfred just doesn't give him a straight answer. And as after Alfred leaves, Alfred is like looking at this like funny little like headband and he puts it on his head and he's still wearing the cowl, by the way. He puts it on his head and he goes, I'm hilarious. And I just I love it. It's just it's moments like this, just like with the um, the interview issue that uh, Jimmy did with Superman, that we get these kind of quieter moments with these characters that we don't get to see all the time. And I enjoyed that. And then we also get to see at the very end of the issue, uh, Bruce Wayne is on this uh, date with an shutter, an influencer, and the two of them are sitting there. Um, just like having this dinner both of them are totally not interested in each other bruce is just there because probably because she's hot and it gives him an alibi for whatever batman business he's doing the influencer is basically just there to get clout whatever that is and um during their dinner she's not paying any attention to him she's just on her phone like live streaming and shit and bruce wayne like looks at her and he goes i'm batman and the blogger like looks at him she's like really and he goes no that's just one of my hilarious jokes and she just like goes back to doing what she's doing and i'm just like how many times do you think he's done that like i just i loved it um is it out of character for batman yes absolutely is it out of the realm of possibility that he could do these things no not at all so I love this book. I think it's been really good so far. Like I said, I've had my issues with it. Um, but overall, I think it's a book that you definitely should be reading. But that's last week. Let's talk about this week. And this week, just like our new segment, is very light. We only have three books. <laughs> if you'll believe it, we only have three books this week. And they're all from DC. Um, I didn't really have any Marvel books that I was really feeling this week. So um, we are diving right into uh, this. So starting off in our first of three books, we have Tales of the Dark or Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Infinite Crisis. So we've gotten two previous issues uh, dealing or three previous issues, sorry, with um, covering both Nightfall, the Death of Superman, as well as Blackest Night. And I think uh, this one sounds really interesting, especially if you were reading at the time uh, for Infinite Crisis when that came out, and if you're a fan of Ted Cord Blue Beetle. What do I mean by that? Let's find out by diving into the synopsis here. DC's mega-event Infinite Crisis saw the destruction of the Trinity, the rise of Alexander Luthor and Superboy Prime, and the rebirth of the multiverse. But it all started with Ted Kord, the Blue Beetle, who saw it all coming and died with secrets that could have saved the world. But 
things happen differently in the Dark Multiverse. Not only does Blue Beetle survive, he thrives. After killing Maxwell Lord himself, Ted sets off a chain of events that irreversibly alters the lives of the Justice League and his best friend, Booster Gold. In trying to prevent a crisis, Blue Beetle becomes the crisis, and the Dark Multiverse will never be the same. So I think that's a hell of a of an endorsement. I think that's a hell of a synopsis. That sounds really, really cool. Um, just forgot to mention, uh, written by James Tynan IV, with art by both Aaron Lepresti and Lee Weeks. Um, just sounds really, really cool. I've been uh, kind of hit or miss on these um, Tales from the Dark Multiverse. I thought... Um, Nightfall was interesting. I thought um, Death of Superman was good. I was not a fan of Blackest Night, so we'll see. We'll see. Right now they're uh, they're they're doing okay on the scoreboard, so we'll see if this one uh, where it kind of falls on the scale. Next up, we have Detective Comics number one thousand and sixteen, written by Pete. Tomasi with art by Doug Monkey. Uh, this is continuing the uh, Mr. and Mrs. Freeze storyline where uh, Mr. Freeze thawed out Nora and she becomes a supervillain. So last issue ended with uh, Freeze kind of coming to Batman for help, basically being like, my, my wife's gone crazy, can you help? So I'm interested to see what's going to happen here where it's Batman and Mr. Freeze versus Nora Freeze. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Defeating her now estranged husband, Mr. Freeze, isn't enough to save Nora Freeze's bloodlust, as she usurps his frozen throne, establishing herself as the first Ice Queen of Gotham. The Dark Knight will have his hands full as Nora unleashes an icy hell unlike any other on his city streets. So that sounds really interesting. Um, again, this is you know breaking new ground with Nora Freeze. Uh, who's always been, you know, just a body in a glass. So I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, the story's been pretty good so far, and uh, they're doing something great on this Detective Comics run. So really looking forward to this. And finally, the big book for me this week is John Constantine Hellblazer number one. This is part of the Sandman Universe line, which is basically Vertigo, uh, just under a different name. And I, uh, I heard you when uh, some of you made it clear that I glossed over the Hellblazer special uh, a couple weeks back. So I can't believe I didn't uh, I didn't get that. I can't believe it slipped through the cracks for me. And I heard it was very, very good. So I'm looking forward to this book. Uh, this is kind of a soft reboot for John. And it looks like if it's... If it is building on the ending of uh, the Hellblazer special, that this is kind of going to be a soft reboot for him. So I'm looking forward to it. Should be good. Uh, written by Cy Spurrier or C. Spurrier. I mispronounced your name and I apologize. With art by Aaron Campbell. So I'm not super familiar with either of them, but uh, I'm looking forward to this. John Constantine is a very underserved character and I'm looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table. So let's jump into the synopsis here. John Constantine is back in London, back to his old tricks and just in time, as things have become very dark indeed in his old stomping grounds. 
A small-time gang lord has found himself dealing with a big-time outbreak of supernatural weirdness, and without any allies to call on and nothing left to call his own, John doesn't have much choice about taking a paycheck from one of London's worst, or accepting the help of one of the gang lord's would-be foot soldiers. But what should be an open-and-shut exorcism turns out to be nothing but, and the author of this madness may just be getting started on the terrible masterpiece. The original Constantine is back in this series from Cy Spurrier and Aaron Campbell, with nothing to his name but decades of bad memories and an unearned second chance. How exactly will he squander it? There's only one way to find out. So, I love that. I love that this is a John who has lived a life and is now kind of reset. So, um... I just think that's great, and I'm really looking forward to this book. So that does it. Like I said, it's only three books this week, so it is an incredibly short uh, comics countdown this week. But uh, really looking for, forward to the books that we've discussed. So to recap, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Infinite Crisis, Detective Comics number 1016, and John Constantine, Hellblazer number one. So if I missed any books, feel free to let me know. Uh, I love discovering new books all the time. So... Uh, especially with a light week like this, I would love to pick up a book that I wasn't expecting. Uh, that's what happened with Marauders a couple weeks, you know, a few weeks back, and I've been loving it since. So really looking forward to this. I assume next week is going to, you know, be much, much bigger because uh, they always do this. They give me a really light week and then they bombard me with like 10 books. So look forward to that next week. But as for this week, I think John Constantine Hellblazer is going to be a bloody wonderful time. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, feel free to let me know anything about, you know, what you thought about what we've discussed today. Uh, this was a bit of a lighter episode. Uh, I haven't completely edited it all together yet as of this, as I'm recording this. But I kind of expect this is going to be one of my shorter episodes just because we didn't have a lot to talk about with the uh, comics this week and we didn't have a lot to talk about with news. But I am super, super excited about my pitch it. I would love to know what you guys thought about uh, about my version of a Star Wars story. And I'd love to hear your pitches. That's really what this segment is about, is getting what my version of events could be and then opening the conversation for other people to pitch their ideas so feel free to reach out to me uh on twitter or instagram at geeksplainedpod that's at geeksplainedpod or through email because i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com thank you very much for listening to us i do appreciate it and if you like what you what you've been listening to feel free to rate us and review us on itunes really helps us out gets us into the hands of listeners just like you if you didn't like what you heard today um never mind <laughs> so next week we are jumping right into december and i am pleased to announce that kicking off december will be another of another edition of our geek explain spotlight and i am super excited to announce what it is going to be next week we are going to be doing a geek explain spotlight on crisis on infinite earths it is going to double as both a Geek Explained Spotlight as well as a comics catch-up so that 
you can listen to this episode and then go right into the following weekend knowing the basics about the story and being able to kind of know what's going to happen with the CW version of it and be surprised when inevitably something gets changed. So I'm really excited about it. I love doing these Geek Explained Spotlights and you folks have been very... Uh, very kind and very complimentary about the Geek Explained Spotlight uh, episodes. If you haven't checked out our previous editions of this, our most recent one was a giant-sized version of Kingdom Come for the November edition. We do them every single month, and um, it was a great conversation I had with two... Uh, Two of my good brothers, uh, Andrew and Jacob. This one's going to be solo, just me, but I'm really excited to talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths. I've been wanting to talk about it for a long time, and even more so since they announced that Crisis on Infinite Earths was going to be the crossover last year. So look forward to that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>